Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about decolonizing herbalism. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Today, I decided to take on the challenge, the task of talking about decolonization of herbalism. And this is not a topic that I am an expert on by any means, but it is one that I have spent some time thinking about and coming to my own terms of understanding. And I want to share some thoughts and perspectives with you, and you can decide uh, from there if you agree or don't agree, or if it clicks a little things in your brain here and there that you can then roll with. So first I want to talk, define what is colonization, what do we mean by decolonization, and then It's going to be maybe a little disjointed, but I'm just kind of going to talk about some different topics that to me represent aspects of what may be representations of colonization within herbalism, or at least a colonizing mindset, and how we can shift that mindset in modern day herbalism. And how can we bring awareness to some things that are going on in the herbal world? Again, this is a huge, huge topic. I mean, I think that it would be amazing for someone to write a huge paper or book on, um, but it's very, could be very involved. So I'm just going to brush the surface and share some general thoughts that I have with you on the topic. Five years ago, I was at 
um, a main herbal gathering and kind of the theme of the gathering was decolonization of herbalism, I want to say, or at least that was the theme of the keynote speaker, which was amazing. It was Sherry Mitchell, who is uh, of the Penobscot Nation in Maine, the what is now called Maine, and she's written s- some great books. She's the author of Sacred Instructions, and she was an amazing speaker. Definitely check her out if you have not heard of her before. But I I was kind of struck in listening to her speak. And toward the end of her talk, she asked the group um, of listeners, you know, what what can we do or what does it mean to us to decolonize herbalism? And at that moment, I remember just really asking myself what that meant and looking around and realizing that like we were in the process in that very moment, uh, in that gathering of decolonizing herbalism, because there we were, large range and variety of people coming together who all live in the similar region and coming together, we were surrounded by plants and a beautiful garden setting and wild weeds and talking about plants, connecting with them, listening to each other, sharing information and really on a grassroots level. And so for me that I, you know, I didn't, but I wanted to just jump up and be like, we are doing it right now, like right now in this moment, if we just connect one-on-one with the plants and relate to them on a personal plane, um, then that in and of itself is a way to do this. And I think it's important that this is what Um, a lot of people are talking about today. So real quick definitions here. What is colonization? So according to the dictionary, colonization is the action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. It's the action of appropriating a place or domain for one's own use. And so if we want to extrapolate that on to herbalism, colonization of herbalism would be the action or process of establishing control over indigenous people's practice of healing and of working with plants that live in their region. It would be the action of appropriating herbalist practices and herbs from a specific cultures for one's own use. 
and for sale for commodification of a certain way of working with plants or with specific plants themselves. And this can go all the way back. You know, the oldest herbal culture in my mind, like if we go way back, it was the culture of the home herbalist. It was people taking care of themselves because that's what we did. It was woman's work. It was the job of the female caregivers of a household to provide food and medicine and midwifery to the common people. And in time, like for me, from what my education and from my history, which is what I can speak of in my ancestry, and I'm sure lots of other people can speak to their own personal experiences and their own ancestors' experiences. But for me, you know, enter, um, go from that way of being, the home herbalist, the wise woman, to the 600 years of witch trials and burnings that happened, the erasure of women, women's ways, women's culture around the hearth of the goddess tradition, erasure of plant medicine and moving into away from direct relationships with plants and moving toward alchemy and then toward uh, pharmaceutical medicine and doctors and male doctors mostly in that time and monks. And so I think with a long that with also comes with colonization comes cultural erasure and female cultural erasure, disempowerment in health and um, not only disempowerment, but then that leads to people being codependent or dependent on an authority figure for their health. It also leads to appropriation and control of herbal, recess, herbal resources from the local common folk and herbal knowledge and understanding and practices. So, you know, this obviously has been going on from for thousands of years, time immemorial, and... It's still happening today. And so how can we recognize some of these things that are happening in modern day herbalism? And how can we stop it? How can we not engage with it? And then how can we shift our mindset um, to be one that is more connected with the plants and less... Um, appropriative and less colonizational, if that's a word. So then what is decolonization? According to the dictionary, 
the process by which colonies become independent of the colonizing country. So if we want to extrapolate that to herbalism, the process by which herbalism remains people's medicine. And where herbalism is not, and healing and medicine is not taken out of the hands of the common people, um, in like how modern medicine has become over time. And even our relationship to healing, to authoritative healer, quote unquote healers, and as like the whole paradigm shift of how we view healthcare. Just a small topic, right? To broach. <laughs> um, so, decolonization would be reclaiming our power to know about our own body, to understand our body, to realize that we are in control of our health and our healing, and we can use outside resources, we can use um, other people that are educated in certain aspects, we can use modern medicine. But as long as we aren't totally dependent, um, and as long as we still maintain empowerment and understanding and control within our own being, as far as our health is concerned. As long as we know that we aren't looking outside of ourselves for an authority figure to quote unquote heal us, or we're looking for a healer outside of ourselves to heal us, and we aren't looking for people just to put our health in their hands and just to be told what's wrong with us, what we need to do to be put on medication or drugs and then just to do it mindlessly telling ourselves that we don't know anything about our body and our health. It's out of our hands and that we are completely dependent on whatever the doctors tell us. And so if we can reverse that and we can be like, no, we are our own healer. We can use these other resources and gain knowledge and understanding and have access to their tools of healing, but that we still maintain our own solidarity and freedom within the choices that we make. So where do we see the colonization mindset within modern day herbalism? And then how can we shift and change that mindset? And I have a variety of, I guess you could say, talking points or um, perspectives or thoughts. So I'm just kind of going to weave my way through them and in no specific order, basically just as I thought of them and wrote them here on my notes. And I'm just going to dive in and let's see what we get into. So number one. I see a colonization mindset within modern day herbalism in especially in Americans when we are working with exotic herbs and plants. And I know that there is even a, a mindset out there where it's like the only 
plants that could actually be healers or superfoods or, you know, have these like magical healing qualities must be exotic plants that come from far away, have exotic names and come from other cultures in other regions of the world. For example, and this is a big one, um, maca. I don't know if you have heard of maca. But maca is a root vegetable that is in the same family as turnips and radishes. So it is basically a vegetable and it has a lot of health properties that a lot of other root vegetables have. But it has been marketed uh, to be a super food to give you health and longevity and hormonal quote-unquote balance and or hormonal effects and to be a super energizing superfood and there's a lot of problems with this there's the problem of the fact that it's appropriative behavior and that we are appropriating a cultural food uh traditional food from uh, an exotic place from Peru in this case and commodifying it and turning it into a supplement and then marketing it to Americans as a heal all medicine. There was, you know, the first thing that I Googled when I found when I, cause I know that this is a serious issue the first article that came up was uh, a Peruvian national treasure is being smuggled out of the country by Chinese. Basically, a turnip is causing unrest in Peru. I don't know that the turnip is causing the unrest. I would say that the appropriative and colonizing behavior around this plant is causing unrest in Peru. So it's a root vegetable known as maca is commonly referred to as the national treasure of Peru and is considered a superfood, this article says. It grows in high altitudes and is deemed so important that the Peruvian government has forbidden anyone from taking maca out of the country in seed form or whole. However, the Chinese and I have to say Americans have caught on to this vegetable and its professed healing properties. And especially the Chinese have been um, offering maca farmers in Peru huge sums of money for their crops. And it has led to a global maca shortage. And this is an issue because not only are they buying products, but I've also, the maca, but I feel like I've also heard that the Chinese are also buying whole farms. But I, I don't know if they're buying the farms or just the large amounts of products and then bringing them to China. And now they are also growing this plant in China and are putting it back into the market at a reduced rate. And therefore, people are buying it from the Chinese instead of the Peruvian people. So it's kind of twisted because not only is it now this turnip is um, 
maybe even hard for Peruvian people to access. And this is their cultural food that has been grown, cultivated for over 4,000 years in a place where, you know, it's high altitudes in Peru and Bolivia with very thin soil. So it's probably a place that's hard to grow a lot of food and crops in general, I would say. Is, you know, the overuse of this plant and turning it into a global superfood is really affecting um, the culture from where the plant is originally from. So that is a huge issue. And that is, I think, a very fine example of colonization mindset and how herbs can be a tool of colonization. And this goes back, I mean, even if we think of like way back during the spice trades, we had these beautiful, and there's probably still issues within the spice industry, I would imagine. But back when the spices were first being traded and, you know, discovered by colonizers that, that they, you know, these beautiful plants were grown in really, you know, small islands, the spice islands. And once they found their way to Europe, the Europeans, of course, decided that they needed to gain control of the spice trade. And so they went and colonized these islands for the plants, for the spices. So not only has can herbalism be a side effect of colonization, but it could be a driving force um, historically of colonization. So how can we shift this mindset? Well, let's stop buying maca products. Let's leave that superfood um, to Peru and the Peruvian people. And let's definitely not buy maca that comes from China. And let's focus on our own bioregional herbalism, our own food crops that grow right in your area. Let's focus on turnips that grow in the United States versus maca. And understand that root vegetables are very healthy <laughs> in a variety of ways, no matter what, what root vegetable it is that you're working with. Working with bioregional herbalism, working with common weeds, especially, that grow in your bioregion. And this, I think, is one of the great ironies, so many ironies within herbalism. But the great irony is that one way to change our colonizing herbalist mindset in getting away from exotic herbs is to actually work with the common weeds that most of them were brought to America by colonizers, right? And like even these weeds could be considered colonizers um, unto themselves, non-native non-native weeds that can take over and take, um, be invasive. And 
how ironic that one way out of a colonization mindset within herbalism is to actually work with the plants that are considered um, colonizers and threats to indigenous plants of a region. If you want to know more about that, you can check out um, a podcast episode. I did a few podcast episodes back about invasive plants versus native plants. So stay away from exotic herbs that come from afar and work with plants that grow within your own bioregion. Even if you are buying them, and even if you are buying them from a farm, uh, from close to you or from far away, at least they are plants that do grow around you or are plants that can grow so abundantly that it is a non-issue to be harvesting and working with them. So another aspect of colonization mindset in modern day herbalism is the overharvesting and use of herbs that are endangered in the wild in, in America even, and I guess around the world, which ties in with the exotic herbs, but this whole mindset of it's here for us, we're just going to harvest it all and not think about sustainability. Now, from my understanding, like this is sustainability is kind of a new perspective around the world. There was always this thought, and maybe at that time, there was this thought of there's enough, there's plenty, like take what you need. And when that became extended, and when herbs became commodified, which maybe that unto itself is a colonization issue, um, it was more of a harvest of greed and not need. So the more that you could harvest, the more money you would make. And the sustainability of future harvests was not really considered. Even though that would also be the sustainability of financial income into the future anyway. So there's examples of herbs that have been overly harvested are, you know, American ginseng, golden seal, black cohosh, and such. Now, let's see. I. So there's United Plant Savers, which has been working hard to maintain endangered herbs and to work more with the perspective of sustainability. Now there's also, I wanted to share this, the Northeast Forest Farmers Coalition that one of my uh, old friends from college actually uh, apparently um, is working on, she got a grant and they're working on knowledge sharing around growing herbs that are native 
like cohosh, ginseng, blood root, golden seal, and ramps trying to build local economies and supply chains around native plant conservation. So the Northeast Forest Farmers Coalition, they're going around the whole Northeast region, um, connecting herbalists with local growers and educating local growers on how they can grow these endangered farm forest crops, which is pretty cool. So the Northeast Forest Farmers Coalition is a partnership of universities, nonprofits, businesses, and other organizations with a shared goal of bringing forest farming opportunities and educations to the Northeast region. So if you live in the Northeast, you can check them out. North, northeastforestfarming.org. So that's a way that we can decolonize that mindset. And then also don't work with these endangered herbs. Think about, learn about other herbs that you can use as substitutes, like barberry, um, an invasive non-native plant has a similar chemistry as far as the berberines go as golden seal. And it has a lot more plant material, a lot more plant material that contains these berberines all throughout the whole plant, not just the root. And that would that's just a way more sustainable plant to harvest and work with instead of golden seal. Also, to understand this concept of when plants grow far away from humans, like in high altitudes or deep in the woods, that they might not want to be used in large amounts by humans. And that the common weeds that grow right underfoot, that love disturbed areas that humans disturb that those are the plants that want these connections with humans that want to be our medicine that are abundant and right there waiting for us to connect with them right under our feet so working with the weeds is one of the best ways to decolonize herbalism. Okay, another big, another big one for me is initiatives around licensing herbalists. Um, I think is right alongside col colonial mindset where we have, and luckily we aren't doing this in America we don't have licensure for herbalists or even like national certifications. And I hope that that always stays that way. There are always initiatives out there that are wanting that. Um, but then there are also initiatives out there that don't want that. So it seems like, um, well, basically when we license, when we have government regulated and licensed herbalists, then that's a whole type of control over a whole realm of healing and herbalism in general that dominates, controls, appropriates, 
all of it. It's just, it's not what herbalism in my mind is about. And let's grant it, even if they license herbalists, it might be harder for people to have access to clinical herbalists, but they're never going to be able to take away the culture of home herbalism as much as they have tried in the past and as much as they, the quote unquote, the infamous they, um, may try in the future, but no matter what, like we will always have dandelion right outside our door that we can uh, work with as medicine in the home. So the more that we harness and share and cultivate that experience of herbalism, I think the more we decolonize herbalism as a whole, the more that we focus on clinical herbalists, licensing herbalists, needing to be certified to be considered to be an herbalist, the more um, colonizing mindset we have. Now, I do understand um, that the American Herbalist Guild, you know, they've kind of taken a middle road where if you want to become a member of the guild, if you want to be a clinical herbalist, then to have the American Herbalist Guild um, supporting you and including you in their club, in their guild, so that you can put the AHG title after your name once you've gone through all of their requirements to be considered to be a, a proper clinical herbalist. It is good to some degree because it's like some sort of standard um, that might make, if people are really looking for a very serious clinical herbalist, uh, for some serious medical conditions, then um, then it might lead to more trustworthy uh, relationship from the get-go. But there are some issues with it. And so I think it's just a slippery slope and we need to be careful. I, I have seen just from my own experience how... Just for me personally, like I don't claim to be a certified herbalist. I could claim like other people can because, yes, I did take a quote unquote certification course in herbalism where I got a certificate from my teacher, <laughs> which basically met, meant that I passed a test. Um, but that doesn't really hold any clout. There's no national certifying organization, unless you consider the American Herbalist Guild such, but they do more based on clinical hours and case studies and what have you. Um, it's more than just passing a test. But I found, you know, in, in offering different talks through different organizations, and even in writing my book, People just want to slip that word certified herbalist into my bio, even though it, I don't include it. Um, I've seen it in just like local groups, organizations that I speak with. All of a sudden I see my bio and it has certified herbalist on it. It's like, oh, it just makes me so more legitimate or something. I don't know. So I always am telling people, no, like that's not, I'm not, I don't want to claim certified herbalist. Like there's a lot of issues behind that all. 
And even in the book that I just wrote, Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions, um, they slipped that in the bio. And luckily, I caught it right at the end, and it didn't go into print, although I did just notice that that is in my bio on the Amazon page. It's like, I guess it just gives people think it gives it more clout. So I have to figure out how to take that off of the Amazon page. But I just find it very interesting that it's like people just want to put that certified on there because that's what we've been so trained. Like if you're going to be a healer or a practitioner of any sort, then you need to have some sort of license or certification or letters after your name. And I think that that comes a lot from a colonized mindset. So because we need to trust, you know, that we don't need to be certified to be an herbalist. We just have to have connections with plants and experience with plants. And then to build relationships with people that might want to ask questions or to learn from from me. Like they don't need to know I'm a certified herbalist. They just need to know me. And they need to know my my information, my experience, what I put out there. And then based on that, they can decide if they want to work with me or not. Not whether or not I have some sort of certification or or degree or anything like that. Because really, that doesn't mean anything. It just means that I passed a test that some teacher wrote somewhere along the way. I also am concerned um, a little bit with clinical herbalism. I mean, there's definitely a need for it and a place for it. But what there's aspects of clinical herbalists that lead to a colonization of herbalism. So we need to think about, does the clinical herbalism, does it take personal power of health away from a person or does it increase personal power and educate the person that's in need? It really all depends on how it's done. Does the person seeking help see themselves as going to a healer to be healed? Is the, is a clinical herbalist calling themselves a healer? Like this, again, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. It's like, We all have the ability to be our own personal healer, but I don't want anyone else telling me that they are going to heal me. You know, I don't want anyone out there being like saying, claiming to be a healer and that they are going to heal people because that is like giving them way too much power, giving them your own personal power, having them take away your own personal power to be a healer. And this happens in the mind. And I think that that is colonization of the mind where, you know, with modern medicine today, we go to the doctor and we trust everything the doctor says. We put all of our power into the doctor's hands. These are my symptoms. The doctor then gives us a diagnosis. Well, then if those are your symptoms, then this is the name of what you have. This is the name of your condition, which is sometimes is just a fancy way of describing the symptoms over again. Like, oh, my skin is inflamed. You have dermatitis, (laughs) which basically means you have inflammation of your skin. It's like, yes, I, I know. 
Um, and then to go to a doctor and then be put on drugs. And this is a term that, you know, Susan Weed really cued me into. It's like when people give away their power and decide to be put on things by another person or to be healed by another person instead of deciding within themselves to take the drugs that are recommended or suggested. There's a big difference there within the mindset. There's one that comes from victimhood and then one that comes from a place of personal power. And I think that the mindset of the victim is a colonized mind. The mindset of an empowered person is a decolonized mind, to put it super simply. So when you're going to see a clinical herbalist, are you going because they are now an authority figure that you are going to give your power away to and be told um, what to take, when to take, how to take it, and actually be given the remedy that you now have no connection to? Is it a remedy? Is it a formula that another herbalist, clinical herbalist, has decided that this is the formula of a of herbs for you and you're going to now pay this person to tell you that and then pay them again for the formula that they're giving you and then be beholden to them next time you need that formula say it works now you have to go back to them continually to get that same formula instead of having any sort of connection with the plants themselves if we want to decolonize herbalism we need to relate directly to the plants and not to an authoritative figure who is the healer. We need to be our own healer and connect with the plants ourselves. As beings, we need to at least have the understanding that we can if we want to, maybe we don't want to, but that we have the ability that it is easy, that we can make our own remedies, and that they work, that they are effective. And I think also if we want to decolonize herbalism, then we also need to be able to pass on that information to our neighbors and our friends and our family. We need to be able to be working with herbs in a way where we can not only relate with the herbs that we are working with, that we can then take that information and pass it along to other people. The easiest way to do that is to work with herbs as simples, one at a time, one individually, one per remedy. It doesn't have to be one per day, but one per remedy so that we can build that relationship. We can't build a relationship with herbs when they're always in formula because then we're only building a relationship with that formula. And that formula is in a lot of ways owned by the person that created it. And that in my mindset, in my mind, to my mind is a colonized mindset is a colonized version of herbalism. It is controlled by um, an authoritative figure, and it is um, indigenous wisdom that is now 
controlled indigenous common understanding and wisdom that is now controlled by an elite few and is only handed down not as wisdom but as a remedy if that makes sense so to decolonize i think one really easy way is to work with herbs as simples and to build connections and relationships to them so that you can then pass on the information if you have a cough and you go to a clinical herbalist. I've had this cough for a month. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know what's going on. And they say, well, looks like, I mean, they can't diagnose. We, as herbalists, we're not allowed to diagnose, but it could be like, well, your energetics are this and that. It's kind of like the way the herbalists get around, <laughs> I think. Um, the, the inability to do diagnostics, like official diagnostics, because that's would be practicing medicine, which is illegal. Speaking of colonization of healing. Um, but so we could be like, oh, well, you're, you have excess cold and damp in your lungs. And therefore, you know, we're going to warm you up with this warm and dry your lungs with this remedy of five herbs. Here, take this tincture uh, five times a day in a little bit of water or drink this tea blend five times a day and let me know how it goes. And so you go back, you have this remedy that you were given. You look at the bottle, you're like, oh, it's like five different herbs. I might recognize the names of them. I might not recognize the names of them. I'm going to take this remedy that my herbalist has put me on. And wow, I'm better. It worked. Amazing. Now my friend says, oh, I have had a cough for a month. It must be going around. Like you got rid of your cough. What did you do? Well, I went to my herbalist and my authoritative figure and they gave me, they put me on this tincture. Oh, really? Says your neighbor. Can I have some? Like, what is it? Can I, how do I get it? Well, I don't really remember what's in it. It was a blend of herbs. It was called Cough Be Gone. Um, yeah, I don't know how to get it. I guess you'd have to go to my herbalist and talk to them and, and maybe they could give it to you. So that, see how that doesn't really work? Like that's not people's medicine. That is um, medicine that comes from an authoritative figure and the power is not in the hands of the people that are sick and they can't pass that information on. Or even if that person did remember, oh yeah, there was elecampane and mullein and plantain and marshmallow and calendula in my tincture. And the neighbor is like, oh wow, okay. Um, I guess now I know what the herbs are, but I don't know what the formula is. I don't know what the ratios are that worked for you. I guess I have to stick with that one formula. So I guess I got to go back to your herbalist anyway and buy that formula from that herbalist. Where if instead, so that's like for my, in my mind, that's a colonization of herbalism mindset and pattern. Now, if we were to take it from a different route and instead we were like, okay, I've had this lung, this cough, this like lung issue for a month now. Hmm. 
Let's see. I'm going to go to my resources or talk to my friends or talk to an herbalist and see what I can do. Let's see. It looks like mullein leaf in an infusion with some milk is like a great lung healer. So I'm going to do that. And it looks like uh, elecampane is uh, a root that can really break up stuck mucus and is antimicrobial. Great. So I'm going to focus on these two herbs and see if they help. And so I, I've done these two herbs in two different specific remedies. And wow, my lungs are all better. Amazing. My neighbor comes up to me. Wow, like you seem so much better. I have the same thing the same issue. I must, you know, we must have all gotten the same sickness. It's gone around our community. What did you do? Like, how can I do it? Well, I did mullein infusion and elecampane tincture. Oh, wow. That's great. Two herbs. And then, and you can then say in these ways, and this is how these herbs felt. Well, when I took the elecampane tincture, I could really feel it breaking up the mucus in my lungs and really opening up my lungs and warming them. And um, I could really feel just by the taste of it that it was really doing this work in the mullein infusion. Wow, it just felt so soothing and comforting and a little bitter and earthy, but definitely restorative. And so, oh, and it just happens that there's mullein growing in our back field. You're welcome to harvest some if you'd like. And I just happened to have an L campaign in my garden and I made an excess amount of tincture and I have some I can share with you. Let me know how it goes. Like that is people's medicine. That is not, that is decolonized herbalism, if you ask me, those versus those two scenarios. They both work. They're both effective. But one, you can you are empowered and you don't have to pay an authoritarian figure maybe to get the information at first um, or to feel confident in the information or just a few quick herb workshops or classes to give you the basics. But you can do a lot once you know that. You don't have to be beholden. I mean, if we're starting to deal with more extreme cases, then maybe you'd want someone. But you know, I had a conversation with a woman who was dealing with uh, cancer, and she had gone to a, I guess it was maybe a naturopathic doctor, um, which is like the next further extreme in my mind of colonized herbalism. <clears throat> but she had, you know, they had given her oh, like a list of 10 different supplements to take herbal, you know, she's like, oh, it's my herbs, you know, but they weren't herbs. They were all capsules, supplements. They were based originally on herbs. She had to buy them from the naturopath. And I can't even imagine how much money they cost, but she now has like no relationship to those plants that was originally that those capsules were extracted from. Um, and, and they made her, they didn't make her feel good. They made her feel sick and she didn't really like the way that taking, I mean, it just felt like taking more drugs to her. I asked her out of curiosity for the list and she gave me the list and it was, 
and my mind was just blown. I was like, these guys, they just, they have a standard protocol and they're just throwing a bunch of supplements at her. And it just seemed like you could easily trade out a lot of the supplements for a simple herb that is made, that is like maybe the basis of that supplement. And that if she had, could have just picked like three or four herbs or mushrooms that she could have worked with on a intimate connection relationship to me, that would seem like a lot more beneficial in healing the healing process or in the process of building health. Moving on, herbal educational institutes, not bad unto themselves. We have um, to make sure that, that when we share the herbal information, that it can be as open as it is now. Like, it's so great that I'm able to, and that anyone can put out podcasts and talk about herbs and say whatever they want. And you can be the judge if you want to trust them or not or double check their information. And that's the same what you want to do with any, any school, any, any herb school or herbalist that you talk to and any doctor, any, anyone, you always want to have the ability to double check your information. Um, we herbal educational institutes are important. They can be expensive, which is fine because it takes a lot of time and money to produce, um, the education no materials and to teach the time that it takes and the space that it takes and all that is really important, especially when we're moving into clinical settings. But we also need to make sure that there's education for the home herbalist if we want to decolonize herbalism. It would be a real shame if there was only education, higher forms of education for only clinical herbalists. We want to make sure that the sharing of verbal information is always open and free to anyone. And the plethora of books that we have on the market is amazing, herb books. So we're so lucky in that sense. We just have to be careful because in other countries, this is a major issue. Now, I will say one thing that does drive me crazy is the sharing of verbal information on social media. Sometimes it drives me crazy. Sometimes it's good. Uh, it can be very inspiring. I do like Instagram for that. And so I do have an Instagram page that I like to share little herbal inspiration uh, about. Um, but if you're on Facebook, oh my gosh. And like, different, I had to like stop following herb groups because it was just random people asking crazy questions, crazy health questions to the great hive mind, the great abyss and the answers and responses that people were giving were just, I mean, it was like, you know, it, I, I just, <laughs> there was no regard for the person behind the diagnosis, right? So the person's like, I've been diagnosed with such and such. Help, what can I take, you know? And then 50 comments, 50 like one word comments. Oh, 
this one herb or, oh, colloidal silver or this supplement or, you know, like in some ways it's great that we can do that, that we can like tap into this hive mind and just have anyone and anyone share whatever their personal experiences or whatever information that they've heard or read, but you really have to double check all of that and not trust it. I mean, who, who are these people that are answering you? You don't know. They don't know you. It's very disconnected as social media can be. Um, and it just, it drives me crazy. So when we're getting our information from that sense, I mean, it can kind of go too far in the other direction of like free information, like tell your neighbor. But once it's like so disconnected as it can be on social media, it, it concerns me. <clears throat> okay, another issue that we have to be careful with, patenting herbal formulas or patenting, trying to patent herbs um, even criminalizing herbs like cannabis, like talk about colonization of a plant. And then also, uh, patenting herbal formulas, like the whole fire cider issue, you know, fire cider was, is a traditional remedy that has been around for a long time. And then all of a sudden, and lots of different herbalists would use it in a way to describe their formulas that they were selling and then or just making in their home. And then there is this one company that decides that, oh, there's not a patent out on this. We're going to claim this name as our own product. And then we're going to sue all the other companies that start putting it on their label. So luckily, the people won the fire cider case and the company that tried to get the patent did not. So thank goodness for that check and balance there as far as keeping herbalism decolonized in the United States. But we need to be hyper vigilant as far as things like that go, because that's not the only example of that that has happened. And then just in general, commodification of herbs in general um, can be an issue, especially when we start turning them into supplements. It's nice that we can access, that, that there is an herbal marketplace, that we can purchase and buy herbs, that it doesn't all come down on us because it is a lot of time and effort to harvest grow, forage, dry, prepare, make the remedies. And not everyone wants to do that. Um, most people don't want to do that. But even if they do want to work with herbs, although I think the more that you work with herbs, and the more you realize, wow, this like, this really works, maybe I do want to get to know these plants. Or maybe I do want to save a whole bunch of money and like make my own tincture instead of buying it for $15 for an ounce. The other thing that I have an issue with commodifying is flower essences. To me, flower essences really work best if they are your own personal ritual. You know, if you have determined what the flower means to you, 
what it represents to you. And then you make your own remedy, your own magical flower essence with that flower, with your own personal intention into it. Then that is real magic, real medicine, real energetic healing. But if you go to an authoritative figure, a flower essence practitioner, and you say, oh, like, this is my emotional state, this is what I need change with, and they're like, oh, yep, that's that's this herb, uh, this flower essence, or I'm going to make a blend of flower essences for you, specifically for that, and you can pay me money, you can buy that flower essence from me, and that's the blend that that you need and you can take it and you have there no relationship to those flowers to that remedy other than that you trust the authoritative figure that gave it to you and that you paid good money for it and those actually are two of the most important aspects of what make placebo medicine work these days in a colonized mindset is like that's what's important in the medicine because again, we're giving away our power, we're getting it from, we're getting a remedy that we have no connection to other than the money that we've paid for it, and the authoritative figure that told us that this is the medicine that we need. If we want to decolonize that mindset, and instead, we form the relationship with the flower, we determine what our intention is in healing, what mindset we need to change. And we determine what flower we connect to and what represents that change to us. And then we create a ritual around that. And then we make a beautiful ritualized energetic medicine based on our own personal intention, our own connection to a plant, and what it represents to us. That is decolonized flower essence medicine. So just uh, the final thing that I'll say, I was going to make this a really short uh, podcast, but obviously that I had way too much to say on this topic already than to make it super short. So I hope it's been valuable to you. But really what ultimately, if we want to decolonize herbalism, herbal medicine in America, um, we need to be really careful on not allowing erasure of historical cultural usage of herbs that have taken place around the world, that we share information, that we research our own ancestry and learn if we if there was erasure, which there probably was, if there was colonization within our history of our ancestry, if we are women, it has happened. No matter what your culture is, the culture of woman has been methodically being erased and still is being erased or trying to be erased. And a big part of women's culture is working with the plants and healing and home herbalism, hearth medicine, midwifery, taking care of one's own, taking care of one's family, taking care of one's community, 
and also, you know, erasure of indigenous cultures around the world and the medicines that they worked with. We can learn about them, but we don't want to continue to appropriate them or, you know, like me as like a white American girl, like I don't think that I should be like learning about indigenous African herbalism to make it more less erased and more popular and bringing and like teaching people about that. That's not, I don't feel like that's my place because that would just be even more appropriation. And I don't want to like start bringing African herbs to you, to America or, you know, that's not my ancestry. So I can talk about, but that's someone else's ancestry that they can talk about and, and, stop the erasure of and bring forward into the current culture. Um, And so I think that anyone that wants to do that with their own bloodline, that's great. But I I don't want to feel like accused because I haven't like researched all of the world's all of the erased cultures, all of the indigenous cultures usage of plants and then bring that into my teachings or into current, my current herbalist medical model. And I also wonder if like, even over, you know, talking about Native American plants or the way that Native, Native American, um, medicine and the medicine wheel and you know I mean I think ethnobotanically it's interesting but it's not my place to start talking about indigenous American medicine because wouldn't that just be continuing appropriation and colonization especially if it's with indigenous plants that are, are have already been colonized and are already rare or endangered. Like, I think that for me, as my place, as a daughter of, you know, generational back immigrants to this country, like for me to decolonize, I think the most ironic thing is that I need to work with the plants that came here with the colonizers. Um, oh no, it's interesting. It's oh, the webs we weave. But I think it is time for me to stop dwelling on this topic for today. I would love to hear what your take is on it. So feel free to reach out to me um, and let me know what you thought about this topic and my perspectives on it. Feel free to rate and review the podcast. I would love um, for you to find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, uh, all with the tag Solidago Herb School, and say hi. Let me know um, what you think of the pod, and let's connect. Uh, If you're local, I'm going to be teaching a class on herbs for stress and anxiety relief, on June 29th, Wednesday, June 29th, at the Herb Circle Garden at the Garden Project in Stonington. Check my website 
or DM me if you want to join us. That's from 1015 to 1215. It's $40. We will meet the plants. We will make the remedies and taste the remedies and learn about our bodies. So join me. And until then, uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube